kids are off. There they go. I'd remind you to walk, but you look like you're having too much fun running. If you would, grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We got them in the back. We'll bring them up if you need one. And in your Bibles, you're going to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 20. While you're turning there, I just want to remind you there were a few things that went out this week by email. And if you haven't caught wind of it by now, um, hopefully you've heard, hopefully you've had a, uh, a chance to maybe make a phone call or send a note or something. Uh, Pastor Dan had come to me last January and shared that uh, God's doing some big things in his heart and that uh, he was putting in his resignation and June 8th would be his last Sunday with us. And uh, so it's been hard, I know, for him and his family to make that decision. But he's jumping out of the boat and following Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, brother, 10 years ago, I was in your same shoes. I know exactly what you're going through. Uh, but as a church family, um, you'll have a time to be able to express your gratitude towards Dan. But I will say this, because he's stepping out of the boat, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at him and say, what are you doing? And he's going to receive more criticism than he will praise. So I'm going to ask you as your church family to pray for him and Stacy. Uh, pray for the responses they're going to get from people outside our church that look at him and say, what are you doing? You are crazy. Um, so make sure you lift him and his family up in prayer. And again, June 8th on that last day, we're going to make sure that as a church you have an opportunity uh, to bless them before they go. Um, and then hopefully by then we'll know what they're doing too. I'm no... He would like to know what they're doing as well. Uh, that's what happens when you step out in faith. It's an amazing thing, amazing thing. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Let's start in verse 1. Let's read. For the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of an estate who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, and he sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. At noon and again around 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that evening, he was in town again and saw some people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us, the owner of the state told them. Then go on out and join the others in my vineyard, verse 8. That evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's, full day's wage. When those hired earlier came to get their pay, they assumed they would uh, receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested. Those people worked only one hour and you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take it. Go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be angry because I'm kind? And so it is that many who are first now will be last then, and those who are last now will be first then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome, amazing, incredible God. I thank you that we have this opportunity to gather here as a church 
to sing to you, to pray to you, to bring our burdens to you, to bring our joy to you, but most importantly, to bring our worship to you, to worship you wholeheartedly. Lord, we know it's not about us, it's about you. So Lord, now as we get into your words, may your spirit move within our heart and help us understand what your words say. And may they ring loud and clear in our hearts. Lord, may your spirit move now. In the name we pray, amen. You know, Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem. So you can imagine as they're leaving, they're heading off to Jerusalem. It's a long road, probably about 14 miles. It's going to be a half a day, if not more, journey. And as they're traveling, Jesus knows what's going on. As he's walking to Jerusalem, he's thinking, it's my final trip into Jerusalem. It's my final week of life here on earth. And his disciples are walking along with him, and they've had this discussion. Well, I'm, I'm probably better than you because I'm a better disciple. Well, who's the greater one? I don't know. They've had this discussion going on. And Jesus sort of heard that discussion going on and sort of talked about it. And they said, hey, I've got a story for you guys. Come here. Come with me as we're walking. And he shares this story. Now, I want you to think about it. It's his last week with his disciples. What needs to be said? What conversations are held? You know, one month ago, my dad's health seemed uh, to be slipping away. He needed help just about for everything. When I went to visit him, he was sitting at the dinner table, and he, he couldn't even stay awake. He put a bite of food in his mouth, could barely chew it. And he'd sit on the Easy Boy chair, and he couldn't stay awake for more than two minutes. Uh, he wasn't alert, couldn't answer a full sentence. It just seemed that just weeks earlier when I visited him, he was fine, except the obvious cancer was overtaking his body, and... Things didn't look good. So his unresponsive and weakened body concerned us. And we were told, take him to the hospital. So we got him in the wheelchair, took him outside, uh, lifted him up and helped him get into the front seat of my vehicle, buckled him in, got inside the car and started driving. And uh, as we left uh, my mom and dad's house, three words came to my mind. Is this it? Is this it? Is this the last time Dad's ever going to be at his home? As we drove through the small town of Walker Roost and drove by Cook's Pizza and the dime store, and I thought, is this the last time he's going to see Cook's Pizza? Is this the last time he's going to see the dime store? And as we drove on towards the hospital, um, I thought, what do I say? What do we talk about? What if this is my last conversation with Dad? And Dad can't even really converse. It's more like one-word answers. And what do you say? Fortunately, you know, he came home a few days later, and, and they believe what took place during that time was his pain meds were so strong that it just, it, it just overtook his body and drugged him up, and he just couldn't do anything. It caused his body to shut down. But I thought about this more in the, in the following weeks. I thought, but what if that was his final week? What should I have said? What could he have said to me? What kind of conversations need to take place? What if this was your last week? What would you say to your loved ones? You're journeying off to Toledo. You're journeying off to, to wherever it be, Napoleon, Defiance, Archibald, uh, North, North Central, Pioneer. You know, we got some, uh, some guys back here from Pioneer this morning. What if you're journeying off one direction or another? And you know it's your last week. What do you talk about? What do you express? What do you sit there and say in the back of your mind, I probably should say this, but I'll save it for another time. 
bring that forward. Think about what should be said. And this is what's happened in Matthew 20. We have the beginning of some incredible messages of hope that are going to be delivered here. From Matthew 20 on, before Jesus gets to the cross, there's going to be some incredible truth. But it sort of starts right here. And I, you know, I prayed about this and thought, okay, there's, I've got like three things I want to... And I said, no, no, no. Let's just focus on this one thing this morning. This first thing that Jesus talks about. Because here his disciples, they've seemed to have lost focus. You know, they're walking along... I'm better than you. No, you're, no, no. I'm, I, if, if somebody's going to be on the right hand or the left hand of Jesus, it's going to be, you know, and they have this big discussion, who's greater than, you know. They're losing focus. And Jesus sort of pulls them in. Guys, we need to talk. We need to talk. So on that dusty trail, it became more than just a walk. It was a valuable journey. And Jesus made sure that his disciples knew this. Jesus picked them. Simple, right? In spite of their occupation, in spite of their past, their lack of faith, their failing moments, God picked them. Now, I just gave you the main point for today. I mean, we could end the sermon right now and you say, so what's it all about today? God picks you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I just had something come out of the left side of the over here. And just, I said, if I'm going to wrap this up early, Ben was going to give me this. No, keep going, keep going. So he just gave me, no, keep going. Okay, I'll keep it going. It's not just God picks them up and we stop there. Because that is, that could be it right there. God picks you. God picks you. God picks me. That's it. That's the just of this sermon. But we're going to, obviously, we're going to keep this going, okay? Because um, I want you to think about this. For those of you that are exhausted, you're tired. You're like, again? Maybe you've lost purpose. Maybe you've lost value. You're trying to say, really, what value do I have in life? What purpose do I have? Maybe you seem like you're always on the losing end. Every time you look up on the scoreboard of life, we lost again. You know, that's how you feel. Maybe you're on the roller coaster of emotions right now, up and down, up and down. Joy one minute, disappointment the next. Three words for you. God picks you. Let that sit in. Let that sink down. God picks you. You know, Jesus takes these untrained, these unskilled, these uneducated, really crippled, abandoned, ordinary people and picks them. Just read through the Bible sometime. It wasn't like he was hanging out at the temple. Hey, I'm looking for perfect religious people. Let's go hang out together. You just look through the Bible with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read the Gospels. Who does he pick? Who does he hang out with? Who does he choose? He picks them. It's an amazing thing. Acts 4.13, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. He's ascended up into heaven. His disciples now, full of his spirit, go out and they start preaching boldly. They're on fire for Christ. And in Acts 4.13, it says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Let me hear you say ordinary men. One more time, ordinary men. Aren't we just ordinary people? Aren't we just ordinary people? When they saw these ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now, these ordinary men had no special training. Matter of fact, if you look in the Greek, in Acts 4.13, I love this. This is one of my favorite things. We were talking about this the other day at staff. Um, the word for ordinary is idiotes. 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 Idiot. Idiot. That's where the word came from. That's where it originated. They were considered idiots. That's what that Greek word means. Let me read that scripture again. 
The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were idiots with no special training in the scriptures. Now, we wouldn't say that about God's people, would we? God did, because that's what they were. Because, see, we sometimes think that I've got to be skilled, I've got to be trained, I've got to be educated. Then God will pick me. God says, no, I'll pick you, just as you are. You know, these were unlearned, unskilled. They're the ones that started the church. Think about it. The idiots started the church. And it's been rocking ever since. The greatest movement ever. Started by ordinary men. God working through them. That's amazing. That's just amazing. So if God can use these men, if God can use me, okay? Rex in Latin means king. Uh, idiotes in Greek is idiot. If he can use a king idiot like me, okay, he can use you, right? Look at the person next to you and say, God can use you. Go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's go back to the journey of Jesus. Review the story that he's sharing as they're talking. So here's, because the story is really simple. So Jesus is walking with them with these common, ordinary men that he picked. And he said, I got a story for you. Here's this landowner, okay? He needs people to help in the vineyard. So he goes out early in the morning and he gets some people, okay? So here's, here's I'm going to need some help. I need five people. Five people. There's one. Come on up. Two. Three, four, five. Excellent. And I just saw right here. So if you were on the outskirts, raise your hands. Okay. All right. All right. So here's the way it works. Landor comes along. Roger comes along because, Roger, you're going to, I know you'll play into this one. Okay. So, Roger, you're the first one to hire. Here's the deal. I'm going to pay you a full day's wage if you work for me all day. Deal? Deal. Excellent. Excellent. Walking along, it's now, oh, 9 o'clock in the morning, I could use some more help. I need some help in my vineyard. Would you be willing to work uh, for the rest of the day for me? And I'll pay you. All right, All right. awesome, because <laughs> you're looking for work. I knew I heard you were working for work. So now I've got some more workers. Now along comes noon. It's now noon. Halfway through the day, I see you've been standing around waiting, okay? Um, half a day is still here. But I see you were looking for work. I've got a job. Would you like that job? Yes. Absolutely. Great. Go ahead and start working. So now we're going along. Now it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the kids in school are saying, we're out of school. Yeah, but we're still looking for work. Would you want to help my vineyard? We've got three hours left in a day. Willing to work? Awesome. Thank you. Now it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I've gone into town, and I realize that there's still a few people standing around doing nothing. I've got an hour left in a day. Would you be willing to work for me? <laughs> They probably did that. Awesome, thank you. So my next group of workers go off to work. Now, the end of the day comes around, and uh, I come back out to find my workers. I say, gentlemen, payday, payday. And as I agreed, I'm going to pay you. So I'm actually going to start with the last person. Now I'll go back to, you're the first I hired, but you're the last I hired, but you're the first I'm going to pay. First to be last, last to be first. I think I just told the disciples this. Anyway, um, so here's the deal. Well, I'll pay you. That's a full day's wage. Have a good day. Thanks for helping me out in that last hour. One. All right, let's see here. And I promised you, well, I, just, I said I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you a full day's wage as well. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for working. You did a good job out in the vineyard today. Full day's wage. I know you only show up at noon, but thank you for helping. That. And, oh, man, thank you for being here from the start at 9 o'clock this morning. You're working away, hard worker. Thank you for working. Appreciate it. Now, yeah, oh, that was a good look. 
what's going on in your mind right now? Because, you know, you were the first one. You worked more than anybody else. I just paid this guy. Roger, let, let's just say I just paid him $1,000. Well, I better back it up. Let's say I just paid him $100. He only worked one hour. You worked here all day. How much do you think you're going to get? <laughs> no, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> he got $100, and he worked one hour. You worked, well, let's see. Maybe you started at probably 7. I got you going, okay? So 7, let's go 5. Let's say you worked, we're going to go 11 hours. Wow. He only worked one. He got a full day's wage, $100. You worked 11. Think you're going to get more? Do you think you deserve more? Yes. Yeah. So did that. that's what the same guy in the Bible thought. But here's your full day's wage. Same, you get the same amount that that guy got. Thank you yeah. for helping, all right? Yes, all right, have, have a seat. <laughs> oh, Roger was too nice. <laughs> Roger, the guy wasn't that happy as you. But that's Roger. The first guy was mad. I just paid this guy over here a full day's wage for one hour. I paid this guy over here who worked all day, but remember, I promised him, I promised him, you work for a full day's wage, right? That's what the story goes. The worker, or the owner, never said how much he'd pay everybody else. He just said, I'll pay you. It's my choice, right? It's my money. I'm the boss. I can choose how much I pay everybody. And I'm going to pay you all the same. No matter how hard you worked, how long you worked, or how short of a time you worked, I'll pay you all the same. Now, when you read through that story and you hear about it, you know, the, the owner replied back to the first guy because the first guy got really mad. Because I'm sure he's sitting there thinking, oh, he got, he got a full day's wage, he only worked an hour. I'm going to get paid so much. Oh, yeah. That's all I get? This, this is not fair. I worked more than he did and I got paid less. This is so not fair. And then the owner replied, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Look at verse uh, 15. Okay. Look at verse, I'm sorry, back up to 13. He answered to one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Yeah, he did. So we tell him in verse 14, take and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be angry with me because I'm kind? Hmm. See, this story ties in with the previous story, and the disciples were arguing over who's greater, and Jesus sort of closed that story off a few minutes earlier with the first will be last and the last will be first. Well, then he tells his story, and he sort of presents the same thing. Many have argued and probably debated a little over this story, and I think they could be right. You know, well, hey, the owner wasn't a very good businessman for handling his finances. Or, hey, doesn't God honor those who are hard workers as opposed to those who are lazy? So that's not a good example in that story. See, a lot of questions probably could be asked about this story, but in doing so, you miss the whole point. So please, don't miss the whole point on this story. Here's the whole point. Ready? It's about the generosity of the owner. That's the whole point of the story. Did you see the generosity of the owner? I come along. I'm going to pay you the same way I paid him. I'm just paying you what you don't deserve down here, and I'm paying you what I told you I would give you. Did you see my generosity to everybody else? That's what the story is, is really sharing there. And at the very least, the story is intended to teach us about the grace of God when it comes to salvation. 
See, Peter wanted to know what that he and the others would get for their discipleship. That's what was happening in the argument before. Man, we've been great disciples. I wonder what we're going to get out of this. We've contributed to, to this kingdom that Jesus is putting together here, and I wonder what we're going to get. You ever heard that? Teachers, coaches, I'm a senior, so I deserve, as a senior, fill in the blank. Well, I serve on this committee, so because I serve on this committee, I deserve fill in the blank. Or how about this? I'm a member of this. I'm a club member, so I should get... See, we always expect something in return. If not monetary, some type of praise or blessing, right? I deserve it. I should get it back. When Jesus answered as he did, he was teaching that although the disciples would receive rewards for the service, anything they received from God, whether it was from on earth or in heaven, it's a gift flowing from the grace of God only. It's a gift flowing from the grace of God only. Point is, God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. I want you to think about that. When you think about this story, you have to ask, does God really owe us anything? I mean, really. Does God owe, owe us anything? Almighty, all-powerful, creator of all things, sustainer of life, worshiped by angels, superior in all things. Does he owe you? Do you think you can go stand before God right now and say, God, you owe me. Could you really do that to the God of this universe? Indescribable, uncontainable. Place the stars in the sky and you call them by name. We just sang that, right? Do you think you could go to the person who the God who created the stars and calls them by name? Do you think you can stand in front of him right now and say, you owe me. I don't think we can. I don't think we should. I want you to think about this. Pick your ultimate human star. Athlete, entertainer. Think who it is right now. It's like, man, if I could go watch them sing, if I could go watch them perform, if I could go watch them play, who would that be? Who's like, man, I just want to go meet them. The, the most incredible maybe business president, you know, CEO, who would it be? Who do you really want to meet? Now, forsake for me, because it's easy translation. I'm thinking of Peyton Manning, okay? Uh, he's probably not, like, ultimate favorite football player for me, for the Denver Broncos, but he does come to my mind because he's a, he's a superstar in football, okay? Let me ask you this. Do I have the right to approach Peyton Manning out of the blue and demand anything of him? Does he owe me? Even an autograph? Let's say I paid money to go watch him play. Does he owe me anything? Does he owe me an autograph? A shake of the hand, a high five? A sweaty towel? An Omaha, Omaha, anything? Does he, does he owe me anything? No, not at all. You know, he's worked hard since a child playing a game. And then it became a sport that he became disciplined in and conditioned to love, using skills like no other. He sweat for years, endured sore muscles and aches and and long hours of study and pains, wins, losses, surgery, false accusation, critics, haters, doubters. People who praise you one minute and curse you the next. Does he owe you anything? No. Not at all. Not even the time of the day. But sometimes those people will go out of their way and do things for others. 
I'll never forget going to a baseball game in a major league stadium. Arrived early to watch and practice. And uh, we were watching the batting practice going on, and we hang out in the outfield, and you're just sort of like, man, I hope they hit one out here, because they, they hit a lot of balls in batting practice into the stands. And, and then there's guys down there playing catch and, and fielding some of the fly balls. And, and, and you just watch all these fans. And of course, you sit and say, oh, well, I hope I get a ball. But then you watch some fans who are really like overly excited about being there. And they're leaning over the fence and like, throw one to me, throw one to me. Come on, you stink. Oh, it's worse, okay? I toned that one down, okay? All for what? $6 baseball. They become critical of somebody who's worked so hard so many years to be in that position for what? A little round ball that you could, they could actually take the money they bought to get into that game and buy a bucket of them at Dick's Sporting Goods, right? But for some reason, I'm entitled to what you have. We see it all the time. Sometimes we do the same with God. We're really not grateful for the admission price that he's given us into a heavenly stadium. And we demand more from God who made it possible for us to even exist. Almighty, all-powerful, creator of all things, sustainer of life, worshiped by angels, superior to all. Does he owe us anything? No, not at all. And just because we place our faith in God, we believe he owes us. And I'm going to tell you something that's dangerous thinking. That's dangerous thinking. Because as soon as we believe that God owes us, guess what the next thing is? The church owes me. Well, the church should be providing this. Ooh, it becomes a slippery slope because what's the next thing? The pastor. Well, the pastor should have said this. The pastor should have done this. Then what? Well, the elders and, and the Sunday school teacher, the, the youth leader, the youth pastor... And it continues all the way down. They all owe me. When I pull in on that ministry center on Wednesday night, there should have been a parking spot for me because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've got kids. Little ones. I'm sorry, I guess we owed you, right? <laughs> no. No, it's a dangerous slope. Does God or God's people owe you anything? No. We say, well, it just isn't fair. I'm not, stop there. If you ever hear that coming out of your mouth, just stop, okay? Just stop. Wait, wait. I just, it just isn't fair. Ooh, don't use that word. Unless you're going to it and they've got cotton candy, okay? That fair is okay. But the other, it isn't fair. Who said life was fair? Who told you that you deserve anything and that life is fair? Who, who fed you that lie? The Bible doesn't. See, God is just. God is holy. If God was fair, oh boy, we wouldn't be here right now. If God is truly fair, and we define fair that way, we would all be dead with no opportunity whatsoever for forgiveness or eternal life with our Heavenly Father. Now remember what we said last week. Distorted truth turned into lies comes from who? The father of all lies, Satan. And he takes these kind of truths and passes them down through times, and he warps them and twists them, damaging our minds, our hearts, to the point where we think, oh, well, life isn't fair, and it's supposed to be fair, and I deserve everything. It never was that way, but we've distorted it, and now here we are. God owes us nothing, but here's the deal. He gives us everything. 
God owes us nothing, but he gives us everything. Isn't that good? Isn't that awesome? God gives us everything we need. We don't deserve it. You know what that's called? It's called grace. Let me hear you say grace. Hmm. Unfortunately, we tend to believe the lies that we're deserving. Dr. Tim Elmore, he's of Growing Leaders, um, he reported this. The professors from universities across the U.S. have told the same story. Their students are increasingly portraying feelings of entitlement toward good grades. Uh, adjusted deadlines, class perks, special treatment. One professor said this. He said, a student told him, hey, I pay your salary, so you have to do what I want. That's a student talking to a professor. In the response section of a 2012 Chronicle of Higher Education article, educators discussed incidents that are shocking in both frequency and similarity. Um, here's some comments from students. I attend a class regularly and I do all the readings. I deserve at least a B. I deserve it. I had a big stats exam last week, so I should be able to turn in my English paper a week later without penalty. Well, I worked hard, so I should receive an A on this project. That's the mentality right now in higher education. Young people's un unprecedented level of uh, this self-infatuation of where they're at was revealed in another uh, survey. It's called the American Freshman Survey, which has asked students to rate themselves compared to their peers since 1966. And over the last 30 years, narcissism and entitlement has risen sharply among university students. Now, so in the survey by corporate recruiters on the Wall Street Journal, they did this survey and they asked these college students, they said, hey, there's an E word that describes you. There's an E word that describes you. What is that E word? So all of these college students who had just gone into the workforce said, excellent, entrepreneur, energetic, enterprising. They had a lot of great E words, but they all missed the word that they were looking for, entitled. See, we live in a time when you get praise for everything and an award for anything, and soon you believe the world revolves around you, right? We think that we're doing each other a favor, protecting our younger ones from failure, but we just might be crippling them as they soon feel entitled to everything. Now, that could be a debatable subject, right? We can let the research talk about it and probably find out that's true. But parents, you remember when you were a kid and you dropped your ice cream cone outside? Do you remember what happened? Mom, dad picked it up and sort of brushed off the dirt and handed it back to you. Today, when our kids drop their cones, what do we do? Oh, can I get one twice as big as that for my son? Here you go. We buy him some bigger, right? Yeah. We crashed our bikes and broke our bikes when we were kids. What did we do? We rode it with just one wheel. Oh, now you know how to ride a unicycle. Good job, son. Yeah. Today we're like, oh, buy him a bigger bike and a helmet. Yeah. You know, we just, we've almost trained our kids to think that the world revolves around them. I'm guilty of that. Okay, I've got the most spoiled kids ever. No, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. Some of you think, yeah, you do. No. Who said that? Okay. Point is, Today, we've, we've driven our culture towards this entitlement factor. When that happens and creeps into the spiritual lives, what do we do? We take that to God. I deserve. I deserve a God. You owe me. 
because that's the way we've been growing. Like I said, that's probably debatable as to how we got here, but here's the deal. It's been around for centuries that we think somebody owes us. Here's the thing. God doesn't owe us a thing. Yet he gives us everything through his son, Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. Incredible song. Written by John Newton. Used to be one of the most popular hymns. J.I. Packer says this in his book, Knowing God. Amazing grace has become boring grace for many people. It's boring because we don't think of ourselves as sinners, or at least not very great sinners, and because we think God owes us something anyway. You know, we're kind, we're generous, we're forgiving. Why shouldn't God be? That's what J.I. Packer had to say. Jesus tells us that God is not human like us. He doesn't operate the way we think. Everything in God's kingdom is based on grace, which is why the last will be first and the first be last. There's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. I want to read that to you. Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. You can write that down, come back to it another time. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. I'll back up verse 6. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness, that's called grace, that he's poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. He is so rich in kindness, again, grace, that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son, and our sins are forgiven. He showed his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. Paul says, do you, see, you hear God's grace? He's poured it out on you. He's given you what you don't deserve. He doesn't owe you anything, but he's given you everything. He's given you grace. You know, when you think about this journey that Jesus is having with his disciples, they're going into the last week, going into Jerusalem. And he says, before we get any further, I just want to let you know, I pick you. You don't deserve anything. I know you're having this argument about who's greater. It doesn't matter. I pick you. I don't owe you anything, but I'm giving you everything. You need to know that because the next seven days are going to be rough. It's going to be rough. You know, you think about those in that story in verse 6 and 7 of Matthew when he said, well, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said. You go back to that story. The last people that got hired... The, the, the guy in charge, the owner, he didn't rip on those that had been waiting around all day. He didn't call them lazy. He said, why are you still here? Well, nobody would hire us. I'll hire you. The owner hired those who couldn't get out, not just in the morning, but through the afternoon and evening. He said, I'll hire you. I'll hire you. He wasn't thinking of profit. He was thinking of people. A good businessman would say, I'm not going to get much out of an hour and pay him a full day's wage. That's not good business. That's not good profit. He wasn't thinking profit. He was thinking people. You know, you think about this when we look around sometimes with people that we work with, people we run into. How do you see them? How do you view them? Do you view them with love? The kind of love that this, this owner had, the kind of love that God has. Worship team, I'm going to ask you to come forward. As the worship team's coming forward, I, want to sh I heard this, this sort of humorous story. And again, it's just a story. About a little boy who was visiting his grandparents on their farm. And uh, he was given a slingshot to play with out in the woods. So he would go out in the woods and he would practice and practice and practice. But he could never hit the target. Oh, it frustrated him. So as he was going back to the, the house, he's a little discouraged. Heading back for dinner. He came around the barn and uh, grandma's pet duck came running out 
around as well. And he had startled him. He took out a slingshot and pulled it back. Hit the duck in the head, knocked it dead. Oh, boy. He was shocked and grieved and in a panic. He took the duck over to the wood pile, sort of hit it there. Didn't know his sister was watching. And uh, she saw it all, but she didn't say anything. After uh, lunch the next day, Grandma was sitting there saying, Hey, Sally, will you help me with the dishes? Sally looked over at, uh, at Grandma and said, Well, Tommy here said that he would like to help you with the dishes today. She leaned over to Tommy. Remember the duck? So Tommy helped Grandma. Later that day, Grandpa said, Hey, kids, I want to go fishing. You guys want to go fishing with me? And um, Sally, uh, or Grandma said, Well, I need Sally to help me with making supper for tonight. And Sally said, Oh, Tommy said he wanted to help you with making supper tonight. Remember the duck? Tommy helped make supper that night. Well, after several days of Tommy doing uh, all the chores for Sally and hearing Sally whisper into Tommy's ear, remember the duck, remember the duck, he couldn't take it anymore. So he went to Grandma and he confessed, Grandma, I'm so sorry. I killed your pet duck. Grandma knelt down. You can imagine Grandma's doing this. Knelt down, gave him a hug and said, sweetheart, I know. I saw the whole thing from the kitchen window. But because I love you, I forgive you. And I forgave you at that moment. But I was just wondering how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. Whatever's in your past, whatever you've done, wherever you're at today, bad habits, fears, lying, whatever you're struggling with. Don't let Satan keep whispering into you, your, your ear saying, remember. Because when that happens, we become a slave to our enemy. The whole time, God is sitting there. He saw it. He forgave you. See, God doesn't owe you anything but he gives you everything. That's what grace is. It's amazing grace. And as we head into this next month preparing for Easter, let's make sure our hearts are right with God. God's given us everything and it started with grace, a love we don't deserve. We got something we don't deserve. So we, in return, need to make sure we're gracious to others, loving to others, I'm very thankful to God. Would you please stand? See, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're like the workers, you know? We get the same grace that Moses and Esther and Paul, and Peter, all the Old Testament, New Testament, all those people that received God's grace so many years ago, if I would just to give my life to Jesus Christ today and surrender my soul to him and say, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, guess what? He's given me the same thing that he gave the first. That's the grace of God. So if you're in here today, understand this. He picks you. His grace extends to you. Will you accept it? Will you surrender and say, I'm sorry, God. Will you do that?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for love that you've given us. We don't deserve anything, but yet you give us everything. You picked us, ordinary people, to serve you and do mighty things. No matter what our mistakes are, no matter what we did last night, maybe even this morning, boy, we blew it big time. You forgive us. You come into our life and you give us something we don't deserve so that we can live in a way that we've never been able to live before. That's your grace. Lord, as we move forward and every day, your grace needs to be amazing to us. Amazing. So Lord, we thank you for that gift. And if there's someone here this morning that's never prayed and never, never asked for forgiveness, now's a good time just surrender right now to you. We can just apologize to you and ask for forgiveness and ask you to be our Savior. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Lord, we sing now to you that your amazing, amazing love for us. In my precious name we pray. Amen.